Amen. Please take your seats. If I could have the ministry team up on the platform, please. Brett, you want to come up? I know you're, you're not on duty, but you're always on duty. You and the ministry, come on. We're going to... Last week, I brought the ministry team on the platform. We had some powerful words of knowledge and leadings, and um, I just felt we'd do that again tonight. Now, next week... We have, and ne- next Sunday and the Sunday after, we have some special services. Uh, next week is our Christmas concert, and we'll be having our Christmas concert. We're having repeat performances. So the Christmas concert will be at 5 o'clock service next Sunday evening, and also 7 o'clock. So the 7 o'clock service is going to be a big Christmas concert, but we will be preaching the gospel and making an altar call at the end of it. So it's a good uh, evening to bring people too. And then the Sunday after that is our candlelight Christmas carol concert. Who's never been to a KT can? Just let me know. I'm just interested. You've never been. It's all right if you haven't. I'm not tell you off. Okay. You, you might want to come, you know, because it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's one of my favorite services of the year. Again, it'll be at five o'clock or seven o'clock. It'll be repeat performances. And what we do is we have carols, ancient and modern. We have readings. Again, we preach the gospel very, very clearly with a chance for people to give their lives to the Lord. And then we end with carols by candlelight. We, we get the glitter, du- glitter globe up, and uh, we also hand out not candles, but glow sticks. And then we turn the lights down low, and it really is. It's a beautiful atmosphere. We used to have real candles. Do you know that? Was anybody around when we used to have real candles, you remember? Yeah? And you had those little red basins, and we have the candles, and we'd light them all. And uh, that was great until, true story this, a lady just sitting where you're sitting, uh, put it a bit too close to her wig and set it on fire. It's a true story. So, Elf and Safety came along and told us we couldn't do it any longer. And I don't, want to, I don't want to be, I don't want people getting their hair set on fire. And sometimes people use inflammable hairsprays. You've got to be careful what spray you use. I'm always very careful what spray I use on mine and what dye and everything. It doesn't, don't want to go up in, if I go up in flames, I want to go up in the fire of God. So what we have is these um, glow sticks at the end, but you know, it's great. You wave them about and everybody goes, let their little light shine on the tube. It's, it's a wonderful time. So next Sunday evening and the Sunday evening afterwards, we got these special services, and then the Sunday after Christmas, uh, we're going to be back with a six o'clock revival service. We're going to have one in the morning service in the morning on the Sunday after Christmas, and one service in the evening. It's all there in the revival times for you. All right, let's just invite the Holy Spirit to come, especially with His gifts of the Spirit. Ministry team here and. Christian and Gabriel, if you get anything, you, you know you're welcome to come up on the platform during this time, as well as the ministry team. Father, we just ask you to send your Holy Spirit amongst us with your gifts and your words, with your prophetic encouragement, that you would bring a touch of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we all need you, and we make room for your Holy Spirit to come. Thank you, Lord, that you know each one of our needs tonight. And you want to move by your Holy Spirit. 
Lord, we reach out to you in faith and expectation and ask that you would activate amongst us the gifts of the Holy Spirit that your name might be glorified in this place in the name of Jesus. You just play quietly. I'm going to just ask anybody on the, on the ministry team if you've got a word or, yeah, come forward. What I got that came forth was um, the word rejection. Um, that there's somebody in this room who has, um, they're suffering at the moment because they've, they've felt a sense of rejection from a parent. The word from God is that regardless of what's happened to you in that life, in what's happened to you before, that I'm your father. I'll give you everything you need. You don't need to worry anymore. You are my child. And I love you more than you could ever understand. So I hope that ministers to somebody. If, they, um, if they're feeling that, then uh, I'm happy to pray for them on that. That might be a specific word for you. But what we, what we will be doing is uh, ministering. If, if people feel the Holy Spirit wants to minister to that area of rejection in your life, then when we call people forward, Beverly, you're going to come up as well? Uh, come on up. If it, we're going to do that. So remember that. We're going to be giving words and things, and, and one thing might just go, that's me, or that's what I need ministry. You're going to have chance to come forward in a few minutes' time. So, keep, so hold that there. Uh, who's next? John? Yeah, um, what came to me really strongly just as we were playing in the back as well as here but it's um, someone with really bad um, got a heart condition but it's related to very bad high blood pressure I could want to heal you tonight maybe more than one person but yeah someone with a heart condition but it's related to bad high, pre- um, high blood pressure is anyone here who's, who, who's dealing with high blood pressure and we're going to minister to you just wave at us high blush, blood, blood pressure yeah okay we're going to minister to that. And anybody else suffering with the heart or high blood pressure next? Who's next? Yeah. To the front. I believe the Lord is saying to someone, someone is saying here that um, God, I've sold so much. I've given, I've been faithful in everything I'm doing, but God has not come true for me. But God is saying to you today that I've not forgotten you. Um, like Hebrews um, chapter 6 and verse 10 says that God is not unjust to forget your labor of love. God is saying today, I have not forgotten you and I'm coming with my reward quickly. So if you are the person, if you are discouraged and you feel that you've done quite a lot this year, you have sown, you have given tithe, you have given offering and God has not come true to you for you. God is saying, I have not forgotten you. Amen. The Bible says in Galatians, don't weary in doing good. It's talking about sowing financial seed specifically. Don't weary in doing good because in due time you shall reap. So if, that, if that's a word for you, then in a few minutes' time, come and we're going to minister that specifically. Who's next? I believe the Lord's showing me that there's somebody here that has a really bad liver problem. I just had a picture of a liver with all these black spots on it. And um, I believe if you stand up right now, God will uh, deliver you. He'll give you a new liver. And there's somebody else, that's that you, sir? Just put your hands up to Jesus and receive that. And there was somebody here with a, uh, needed a kidney repair. 
Who was that? Was uh, got problems in your kidneys? Pains in your kidneys, actually. So in a minute, come forward. Those kidneys, liver conditions, God is going to touch them tonight. Who's next? Um, there's a verse being in my head just ministering to my spirit in Luke verse 6 10 Jesus healing on the Sabbath he said to the man with the withered hand stretch out your hand and uh, what was resonating in my spirit was there are people here quite a few actually who feel that something in their lives personal aspect of your life has withered away the Spirit of the Lord is saying, reach out. And as you reach out, He's going to create a new. And I, I have um, this resonance of it being a person. Maybe you've lost somebody dear to you. Maybe recently, maybe a long time ago. And that's been an area of your life that you're like, oh, I lost this person in my family when I was younger or whatever. And that's just being a withered aspect. God's going to bring huge healing. And as we, I'm happy to pray with you, whoever that is, come forward and um, we'll pray about that. I, I believe that uh, God is saying to someone here, the same as I've come forward, that uh, you are to take the step forward in faith, that you're going to do, that you are to do that which you are thinking about, that which you are considering to do. And that God is saying to take forward, to take a step, to take a step in faith and just face your, your fears or whatever it is and just take that step. God is saying there's someone with a bad right knee and finding it hard to stretch. A bad right knee. Someone with a bad right knee. Are you are you around? Just signal. We're going to pray. Yeah. Okay. Good. And anybody else? We're going to invite you in a few moments. Remember these words. The ones that you know are for you will stick. Some more. Gabe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe that, well, there's definitely at least one person, probably a few of you here, um, really struggling with a, a, um, a spirit of anxiety. And whenever you come into church, you see a lot of people, hands raised, lifting high, honoring God, and you're here because you want to receive something from the Lord, but haven't quite yet. And there's a constant sense of anxiety in your life. I just feel that at this sort of a season, we are celebrating the coming of Jesus into the world. And when Jesus came into the world, he came to bring a peace which was not possible before he entered into the world. And I believe that the Lord wants to release into you a revelation of Christ which brings a peace that you didn't think possible. So that the things that we talk about in church move from your head into your heart. And those fears and anxieties which propel you and keep you from the peaceful experience in a sense of walking with Christ comes to the fore and becomes real for you. So if when it comes to ministry time, if there's some of you that responding to that, that you want to deal with the spirit of anxiety, do come out to the front later on. Wonderful. Anyone else? Yeah. You, you, had, you had the same, what was it? What was it? There's a knee problem. I was thinking particularly about cartilage, knee problem, same. Previously, I had a, there was also a picture of, um, it was like a glass of water on like a right on a, on a railway and it gone through a sharp bend and half the content spilled out um, 
and it, it just seemed to feel like there's somebody who's gone through something which was a really sharp turn in their life and they feel like half the person they were before but they need to come up and receive a, an infilling, a refilling that God is going to restore them back to where to their former glory that they're going to come back to where they were they're going to, they're going to experience things that they experienced even as a child that, that joy that they're going to get that back again and one more before we begin to minister. Um, I believe the Holy Spirit is uh, healing eyes in particular, eye conditions. If you want me to pray with you, I've got faith for that right now. Okay, so if you believe in God for a, for a healing in your eyes, we're, gonna, we're going to be doing that. Come on, one, one more. Yeah. Um, there's more than one person here tonight, and you're very, very weary and tired. In fact, there's a few people who've been really going through challenges of late. But what I feel the Lord is saying to you is that you've been battling by yourself. You need to draw near to Him. So if that is you, whoever I'm speaking to, if you can come at the end this evening, um, we'll pray for you because there's more than one person. God doesn't want you to keep on struggling. Okay, thanks. You don't have to wait to the end because we're going to do that right now what we're going to do is we believe that there's a move of God going in our midst where well, we know there's a move of God going in our midst and you've heard different words the Holy Spirit knows your needs even if he's not mentioned them in these particular words of knowledge and prophetic things so what we're going to do right now is we're going to take the next step into a deeper presence and worship of the Lord together we're going to reach to him with faith and we're going to touch his throne and believe that his glory is going to touch our lives whatever our needs or wherever we are but it's not just about our needs it's about his needs and he wants our worship our praise we can delight the lord we can please the lord with our worship in the next few moments we can give him something extra something deeper something more than we've given him before in the outpouring of our worship so this is a time of god pouring out on you but let it also be a time of us pouring out on him so i invite you all to stand and um, ministry team if you go to the front you've heard all those words you know the different categories and things you say hey that was me or i think that was me then wherever you are, don't stay where you are during this time. I know that when you go in the balcony, you have to come down the stairs, but you know often it takes more faith to come downstairs than it does to step out of the third row. So don't say, oh, I'll just stay here. You know, you could stay in your seat downstairs or upstairs and miss the blessing. And the Lord would be saying, I spoke to you. Why didn't you come? and receive the blessing. So this is, we're going to enter a time right now. You can begin to leave your seats and come and we're ready to minister to you here at the front. Those of you that aren't going to come forward, this is your time now to take the next step into the presence of God.
Let it flow over me. Let it flow over me. Let your river flow. Let your river flow. Let it flow over me. Let it flow over me. Let your river flow.
seats wonderful wonderful music ministry praying for people words of knowledge prophecy just pouring out our worship on the Lord it's good to be together isn't it amen well if you have your Bibles with you please turn to the book of Ezra this is the fourth and final in a prophetic series on the book of Ezra and um, there's always new people with us, and because it's a prophetic series, it, it's important, I believe, for me to go back so that um, you get the spirit within which this teaching has been given. And it was on Friday night of the Energize Week, our leaders' conference that we had in November. And I went home, and when it was time for bed, I went up, turned the light off, put my head on the pillow, 
ready to go to sleep. And the Lord spoke to me and said, read Ezra. And I thought, why do you tell me now when I just turn the light off and put my head on the pillow? Because my Bible and my reading glasses are downstairs. And I felt, well, maybe it wasn't the Lord, maybe it was just me. But I thought, well, you've got your iPhone and a Bible app on it. So why don't you just listen to it? So I did. I found Ezra. I sat down, sorry, lie down, light was off, and I just began with my eyes closed to listen to the book of Ezra being read on my iPhone. And um, as I began to listen to it, it was like I'd never heard or read the book of Ezra before. That's what it was like, although I had studied the book of Ezra and Nehemiah as a 17, 18-year-old doing religious education um, for A-level. I wasn't even saved. In fact, when I went to Durham University to do my theology degree, I wasn't even saved. But God knew where he was leading me before I was even saved. And I got saved in the first term when I was at university. And so I'd studied Ezra and Nehemiah. But when I began to listen to it, it was, it was like a book that I'd never heard before because I was hearing things. God was highlighting things to me prophetically about this book of restoration. And so as I went through it and heard these things, I realized that the Lord was putting a pattern in my heart, not just for personal revival, but for what we should be believing for God to revive His church in Europe. And so I've been, got, I've been going through the book and as you go through the book of Ezra, and maybe you're here for the first time or watching for the first time, well, I hope by the end of the evening you'll be stimulated to read the book of Ezra again and pick up some of the themes that the Holy Spirit was highlighting. And the first thing we see in chapter 1 and 2 is the call of God to restore His people from out of Babylon. And He stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, who wasn't a Christian or a believer, but God stirred up his heart. He was preparing history for such a time as this. Do you know, you're here for just, a t- for just such a time as this. You know, that was the story of Esther, wasn't it? Everything was going wrong, but Esther realized perhaps, and for such a time as this, God has been placing me. Sometimes we look at what's going on in politics. We look what's going on in history. We look what's going on in Europe. And sometimes we can think, oh, it's all going wrong. Well, it was not going any worse than it was 70 years in Babylon. But God hasn't placed you to be a failure or part of something that is failing. God is the spirit of restoration. And God is bringing a restoring spirit upon this house. Not that we're backslidden and need restoring in that sense. But God is taking us to higher levels of restoration. God has given us as a church, as he does every church, a pattern. God has given us an apostolic pattern and an apostolic leader for apostolic uh, restoration. And so they had gone into Babylon. And for 70 years, Jeremiah prophesied that the people would be in Babylon. And then Daniel read Jeremiah and realized that those 70 years were nearly up. So Daniel began to pray for three weeks. And then an angel visited him and said, Daniel, from the first moment, your prayers were heard. Isn't it interesting? Sometimes we're praying and we're wondering whether God has heard, but he heard you the first time. But there is resistance, spiritual resistance in the heavenlies. 
to the answer of the prayer. God hears prayer instantly, but sometimes we have to persist and pray, knock and keep knocking, ask and keep asking, and then we'll get the breakthrough. And so here in Ezra, we see that God stirred up not only key figures in history that didn't even know what they were doing, but God was behind it, but then God began to stir up the leaders there in verse 5 of chapter 1, their heads, and he stirred them up with the spirit of restoration. And then they came out of Babylon. This few, remember, most of the people, most of the Jews stayed in Babylon. Only a few returned. And for hundreds and hundreds of years after this point, there was a a major grouping of, of Jews in Babylon. In fact, they were there until the Muslim persecutions that came later. There was a huge number of them there because very few of them returned. But the few that returned didn't return empty-handed. They must have been encouraged because if you remember, when Egypt was called out, sorry, when Israel was called out of Egypt to become a nation, they didn't come out empty-handed, did they? They came out with the plunder, the gold, and the silver was given to them. It was one of the greatest miracles that God did in the Old Testament. He plundered a nation without a war. And we find here in verse 7 of chapter 1 that when they returned, they brought with them the gold and the silver and the utensils of the house of the Lord that had been kept in storage since when the Babylonians had destroyed the temple of Jerusalem 70 years later and carried the people off. They were encouraged because they knew those things that they had lost were now being restored. We've seen in the present church that God has been restoring a lot of lost utensils to the church. You know what I'm talking about? We're getting closer to the spirit and pattern of the early church, the acts of the apostles. Not that we're going back to them. Well, we are for the pattern and the spirit and the anointing, but God wants us to go further. The latter rain will be greater than the former rain. And we are in the time of the latter rain. The latter rain is pouring out. We just got to get the vessels right. Just got to get the church right and the wineskins right. Because when that new wine starts flowing across Europe, if we don't have the new wineskins of God's apostolic pattern ready, then we're going to lose the wine like they did in the Welsh revival. Where hundreds of thousands of people got saved in a matter of months. And then a few years later, as if nothing had ever happened, because there was a people that were not ready or understanding the needs of discipleship. And so this few came back. And the, sp- the spirit of the few speaks to us today. Because you say, well, we're not in Babylon. Don't be so sure. Don't be so sure. The spirit of Babylon is the spirit of the world. And you know, the spirit of the world is so subtle. It works in such subtle ways to deaden the things of God. And so we need to ask ourselves, how much of Babylon is in me? You know, they say they brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, but they couldn't get Egypt out of the children of Israel. And we'll see later as I complete this teaching tonight that there came a point when even though they had got the children of Israel out of Babylon, there came a point with the Ezra anointing when they had to get Babylon out of the children of Israel. So, are we clean? Are we cleansed? Is our mind renewed? Do you know what the most important thing for a Christian to have 
It is a renewed mind. You look at the teachings, especially of the Apostle Paul in Romans and, and right throughout, he is constantly telling the church to have a renewed mind. The renewal of the mind is the key to your victory. How many of you know that the battle is a battle of the mind? It's not a battle in the heavenlies, although we do battle in the heavenlies. But that's not the foremost battle. The foremost battle is not in politics. The foremost battle that you face is a battle of your mind. Will it succumb to Babylon and the world, or will it be cleansed and brought into line with the Word of God? And so they came out of Babylon, and they, they came back. And the first thing that they did, and I preached about this in chapter, th- in chapter 3. Well, actually, let me not miss ch- chapter 2. Chapter 2, and I won't go into detail, but just a reminder... Chapter 2 is one of those genealogies that I always used to skip in my Bible reading and think today's a good day because it was all genealogy. So I just skipped it all and finished my Bible reading early because I've got better things to do than read about old names in old places. What's God going to teach me with a bunch of old genealogy names? Yes, Matthew, I can understand the genealogy of, uh, of, of, of Joseph being very important. And yes, Luke, the genealogy of Mary, very important. But all these Old Testament, I don't give a hoot about these, these weirdos. I'm not going to get my rhema from it. Okay, well, maybe I wasn't that aggressive, but it felt like that. But when I began to listen to this tape, when I began to listen to it on, on my iPhone, and the genealogy started, I thought, oh, here we go. I've forgotten about chapter 2. I thought, well, I can't even fast forward. And the Lord said, read it, so I'll just listen to it. And so I just listened and name after name after name after name after name after name. And God began to speak to me. And these names were real people, real people that God honored by putting them in his holy word. And I realized that this was a chapter of rewards and honor. Do you know God has a book of life? And I'm not talking about book of salvation. I'm talking about the book of the honor, life honor. In Greek towns, they would have the book of life. And that book of life was a record of all those that were great achievers in politics, the arts, sports, and military. Their names would be put in the book of life. So future generations would see and read about their heroic acts and not forget what they did for that city. Well, that's what we have here. God is looking for a people that are going to be true to him. And although the world might not know who we are, our names will be great in heaven. You hear what I'm saying? Out of obedience. And so God is calling for us to step up to the plate and to understand these people at the time, they never thought that they would be in the Bible. When they, made the, when they made the step to follow the Lord, to rebuild the temple, to leave Babylon and bring in restoration, they weren't thinking, my name is going to be read in Kensington Temple two, th- two or 3,000 years later. Isn't it amazing? You see, when we're on the earth, when we're doing it, we don't realize how important our decisions are now to eternity. We don't realize that in this short 
time that we have on earth. Time is short. And I don't need to be a prophet to say that. I just need to know the length of the human life. Time is short. Before you blink, you end up wearing glasses. Before you sneeze, you're coloring your hair. I notice, I need to look. Television doesn't lie. I need to, it, it, I'll be healed by next Sunday. Before you know it, life's passed you. Seriously. Before you know it. I don't know about you, those of you that are in your 40s. I'm like a 16-year-old in a 43-year-old body. That's how I feel. So you don't look like a 16-year-old. No, that's how I feel. I don't feel 43. If you had said to me at 16, can you imagine being a 43-year-old? And I thought, oh, no. Well, that's really old. But your body gets older. But I don't know about you. You might get, old, you might get wiser, but you don't change on the inside, do you? Well, you do change, but you know what I'm saying? Because... On the inside, you don't get older because the Bible says that your body gets older, but your spirit's going to get renewed. In fact, we should be in the Lord more youthful in our latter days than we are in our former because we should have more of a renewed mind, more of the spirit, more understanding of God, more time to learn to him. The older we are, the more radical we should be. The younger, fresher. You know, the Bible says, to enter the kingdom of God, you must be like a child. Well, I think the older we grow in the Lord, the more childlike we should become. I've met some wonderful men and women of God in their latter years over my life. And the one thing I've met about them is that what I've found about these great men and women is that they're very simple but extremely profound. In other words, they'll say something, and I'll go, yeah, I know about that. But they know about it in a depth that's real. You hear what I'm saying? They'll, they'll talk simply. They'll have, they have simple, they're not stupid. But I'm talking, but the way they live their life is, in essence, a simplicity of faith in their Father. In their Father, a spirit of renewal. And when they got back into... Um, Israel, the first thing they did was get the altar built. And I did a whole session on this. Because they had to get the blood flowing. For 70 years, there'd been no blood sacrifice because they weren't allowed to sacrifice except in the holy temple. So although God was with them, he didn't leave them. 70 years without blood flowing on the altar. You've got to understand the importance of sacrifice. All these sacrifices, of course, point to the one sacrifice for all sins when Jesus died on the cross for your sin and mine. But sacrifice was what got the spiritual blessing through and what removed the obstacles to spiritual blessing because blood sacrifice brought atonement. Blood sacrifice brought forgiveness of sins. Blood sacrifice appeased, calmed the wrath of God. The anger of God. Not that God flies off the handle, but I tell you what, there is a wrath of God. Some people say, oh, there's no wrath of God now. God is just nice and grace, and he just loves, and there's no wrath or judgment. Well, Romans says the wrath of God has been revealed against all ungodliness. The only way to flee the wrath to come 
is to run into the arms of Jesus. And His blood will free you from your sins forever. And His blood, one drop of Jesus' blood in your heart, or by believing in your heart, one drop will extinguish all the wrath and anger of God on your sin forever. That's the power of the blood. Well, Jesus hadn't died yet, but in the Old Testament, they, you know, you can imagine, we've got to get the blood on the altar. We've got to get the blood flowing. We've got to get the sins forgiven. We've got to get the deliverance coming. We've got to get the healing. We've got to get the wrath covered. We've got to get the flow. And so when they built that altar, they went straight to the blood. At the heart of every restoration, revival, and renewal is the preaching of Christ crucified. Not just Christ. Paul didn't say, I, I, to the Corinthians, I come and I, I only preach Christ. There's a lot of people who preach Christ. His wisdom, his understanding, his, and thank God for that. We preach the whole of Christ. But it's not just preaching Christ. It's preaching Christ crucified. It's Christ on the cross. His blood shed for the sins of the world because the power is in the blood. And when we talk talking about the blood, what we mean is the cross, the power of a death. Glory to God. The death of Christ was the most powerful event that ever took place except the resurrection that made it potent into our lives, if you believe. And so they got the altar built. And then they built the temple. And when they finally built that temple, a place where he could worship and thrive, some of them were shouting. They couldn't believe the greatness of the fact that they'd been brought back and they'd built a temple, but some of them are weeping because they remembered the old temple. They remembered what it was like. But this is why the prophets, the prophets were amazing at this time, by the way, because it was so discouraging because restoration is hard work. Restoration is hard work. When the walls are broken down, read Nehemiah, it's the same time. When the walls are broken down, it's hard work to build those walls, especially when the enemy's trying to stop you. When the temple lies in ruin, when the altar's broken down of the Lord and people have turned and, and there's a spiritual barrenness and a wasteland, it takes a pioneer people that are willing to pay the price, the cost, and hard work. Do you know, discipleship is hard work. It's good work. You know how good work, that hard work can be good work, can't it? Have you ever done a really hard day's work and been satisfied? Three of you have. No wonder the country's in the state. I'm only teasing. You've done a really hard, you've done some work, you worked late, you worked hard, but you achieved something. There's, there's a satisfaction to a job well done, and it's usually linked to hard work. I mean, if you like sport or fitness and things like that, you know sometimes you don't want to go to the gym, you don't want to do it, but when you've had a really good workout, doesn't it feel good? But when you've done like a two-minute workout, you feel worse than if you hadn't done it, and you probably won't next time. Hard work. Discipleship is hard work, but it's good work. It's worthy of, of it. And so rebuilding a people of restoration are workers, not shirkers. They're hard workers. They've got 
their eye on the apostolic pattern, and they're building the house of the Lord. And the prophets are there to encourage the hard workers, not the shirkers. And you read the prophets at this time, the Zechariahs and the Haggai's. They're full of encouragement. In fact, Ezra speaks about that when they were opposed by the people of the land, it says the prophets, you read it there, the prophets came and encouraged them. And the prophets said this, the glory of this latter house will be greater than the glory of the former. Amen. That's a prophecy over Kensington Temple. Do you know that? That's one of the key prophecies of the Lord over our house that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. Another key prophecy was one when an elder, right back in the 70s, had a vision. And he saw people coming through those very doors at the back into Kensington Temple. And as they walked in the doors, on their forehead, they had hearers of the word. But bless God, when they left those doors, on their forehead, they had doers of the word. And you know, that's the heart of our senior minister. That's what he's been working for, to prepare God's people for ministry. A third major prophecy by Canon James Wong, many years ago, I think, I think in the 80s, or maybe the early 90s, after I asked Colin, was this, that in order for Kensington Temple to become everything that God wants it to be in his plans and purposes, that Kensington Temple must become the greatest disciple-making church in London. Well, that's the goal. I'm sure others are doing discipleship. I'm just telling you about the prophecies over this house, and I'm sure all the other major churches have God's blueprint for them as well, because in the end, we're all here together to do our part. But we're just talking about this house at the moment. And so the building, the prophecy is there for us to build together. And then we, we moved on a little bit into um, chapter, uh, chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. And I spoke on that last week. And there we were speaking about how opposition can try and, and, and stop the church. In fact, during this period, the opposition managed for a while to stop the work of rebuilding. And how did they do that? Well, they were, it was spiritual forces, but also a lot of things was manifesting in politics. And you read those chapters from 4 up till 7, and you'll see legal letters. You'll see government decrees. All this was manifesting in, the, in politics to, to try and prevent God's people from carrying out the work of restoration. And sometimes that can feel like politics has turned against the faith. It can seem like society has moved on from the faith. It can seem like, you know, you know that, that, that society, local government, although we're very happy with Kensington and Chelsea, but local governments and think that they can be anti-Christian. We look at what's going on in politics right now, don't we? And, and some of the, the decisions and, and the feelings that, and, and the words that are spoken about the church. But you know what? We don't stop building. They stopped them building for a while, and the prophet said, what are you doing? Well, we can't. We're not. And the prophet said, build. Obey the Lord. And they kept building, and God gave them the breakthrough. 
And now we're coming to chapter 7, which is the last thing I want to say in this last 15 minutes to complete this series. Because we see at the end of chapter 6 that the work had been done and they began to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover. And the Lord made them joyful and God blessed them and strengthened them. And then in chapter 7, I mean, it's interesting, it's called the book of Ezra, but we don't see him until chapter 7. In chapter 7, Ezra comes with what I call the Ezra anointing. And Ezra is like the cherry on the cake. Ezra comes and brings the final part of this process of restoration that you can go on the internet and go go to the media page and go down to where it says um, series and you can get the other three if you so choose to hear the whole series. But Ezra brings the crowning to this restoration. You'd think, well, the church is back on its feet or the people of Israel are back on their feet. They've, they've broken through. They've, they've rebuilt. But really, that was just the platform for multiplication and growth because there were still very few in the land. And they had built the temple. They'd got things going. But God now, now that they'd got the temple, the walls, all that stuff built, now they had the platform. Now God wanted them to multiply and to multiply. But before that multiplication came, the Ezra anointing came. And the Ezra anointing brought two things. A deep obedience and reverence of the Word of God and fear of the Lord. Do you know the fear of the Lord? I can't speak for you, but I speak in, I don't think many of us, and I include myself, have any idea what the anointing of the fear of the Lord is. And God wants to bring the experience of the fear of the Lord back into his church because that's one of the things that is going to cause the multiplication. And you say, the fear of the Lord. I, don't, I'm, I just got, I've just heard the message of grace. I don't want to get scared about God again. I just come from some traditional background where I was like scared of God and and, and now, now I know God loves me, and you're telling me to get scared again. I'm not saying any such thing. Ezra came up in chapter 7, verse 6. And this Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the, of the Lord his God on him. Now, when we look at Ezra, and I can only go in detail here, because I, I just feel like pulling out major things rather than going into detail. The hand of God on Ezra is repeated again and again. We see it there in verse 6. According to the hand of the Lord God upon him. Verse 9. According to the good hand of the Lord God upon him. Um, verse um, 28. So I was encouraged as the hand of my God was upon me. So there was a hand of the Lord upon Ezra. It's there a number of times. It's repeated that God's hand is on him. It's there also in chapter 8, verse 22. The hand of our God is upon all those for 
good who seek him, but his power and wrath are against all those who forsake him. Oh, and it's there also in verse 18 of chapter 8. Then by the good hand of, of God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding. So one thing you think, the hand of God is upon Ezra and those that are with him. What, what's that? That's Old Testament language for the anointing of God was upon him. And he came and he began to teach the word. But he taught it in a way that brought amazement. He wasn't there to tickle their ears. He wasn't there to feed them milk. He was there to give them the meat of God's word. Do you hear what I'm saying? That they had gone through the milk stage. They had gone through the time of testing. And it was only when they were ready that God sent his apostle and the anointing upon Ezra, the Ezra anointing, to take them deep. How deep does this current church in Europe want to go? How deep does the Western church want to go? Because like one archbishop, rather rudely but very funnily once said about the charismatic and Pentecostal movement, he said, it's a bit like a swimming pool and there's a lot of noise coming out of the shallow end. And he was meaning the Charismatics and Pentecostals, who were very noisy, but in his view, very shallow. Well, how deep do we want to go? Because God wants to take us deep into him and his holiness. And so when Ezra came, he came with a holiness anointing. Now, the fear of the Lord is clean. If you read the Proverbs, when you read the Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is a wonderful thing. It's not about being scared of God. You know what I'm saying? It's not about being scared of God. It's not about feeling condemned. That's got nothing to do with the fear of the Lord. In fact, only somebody that knows God's love and God's grace and God's total unconditional acceptance of you forever can be in a place where they can begin then to see the fear of the Lord. Because if you don't know that God loves you, that he loves you so much he sent his son to die for you, if you don't know that just one prayer of faith truly from your heart to Jesus and you're saved forever and ever and he'll never let you go, if you don't know that, that God is for you and never against you, if you don't know that and know that the grace of God in the depths of your being you can't enter into the maturity of beginning to have the fear of the Lord. Because the moment he shows you his glory and his holiness, you'll immediately think you're unsaved. I mean, Isaiah, when he saw the glory of God, he said, I'm undone. I'm finished. No, you're not finished, Isaiah. You've hardly started. God is with you. And you see in the New Testament, the fear that comes on people when they see the holiness of God, the glory of God. If they're immature, they see the glory of God and they think that they're going to die. They think they, they feel they, the glory of God and the, and the frailty of the human condition. They think they're unsaved. You've got to know that once you're saved by the grace of God, you're saved forever. Not just so that you can enjoy that knowledge, but so that you can then go deeper with God that you have the assurance of sins forgiven forever, now you don't have to worry like a little baby. Am I saved today? Am I not saved today? Am I saved tomorrow? And I'm not saved tomorrow. There's some people that never get past that. Listen, if, 
the, the only reason you're ever saved is because you trust in Jesus. Get that in your spirit, but then be prepared to go deeper with God. Be prepared to go deeper where the fear of the Lord is going to make you clean. The fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. I'm not talking about milk anymore. I'm talking about meat, the meat of God's Word. Paul said to the Corinthians, I can't give you meat because you keep throwing it up. Because you can't take the meat of God. Because you're so carnal. I can barely give you the milk of the gospel. God wants us to begin to chew the steak of his word. Because that's where the nutrition is to do his work. That's where it is. And so he comes back with the hand of the Lord upon him. And he begins to minister to them. And we see in chapter 9 an incredible thing. He finds out in verse 2 that they have taken daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with people of those lands. So when I heard this thing, Ezra said, I tore my garment and my robe and plucked out some of my hair, my head, my beard, and sat down astonished. Now listen. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. And I sat astonished until evening sacrifice. Then he prays in verse 6, Oh God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift my face to you, my God. And he begins to pray about this. You can go in detail. Wow. He was astonished. You see, they had been playing with things. And they had been... Now, you know, this is Old Testament, okay? So Old Testament is a natural picture of spiritual things. And, and you might say, what? They put away all their foreign wives? They put away all their foreign children? That sounds a bit harsh. You have to think with an Old Testament mentality. The law expressly for, forbid this intermarrying at that time. Why? Because whenever that took place, that was the reason half of them had to go to Babylon in the first place. They'd married into false gods the wives had brought false gods in. That was Solomon's downfall. And they, had, and they had become married to false gods. You see what I'm saying? And Ezra was so holy. He was so hardcore holiness. They couldn't see it. They didn't see it. So much of, and I include myself with all of us, so much of what we tolerate is an abomination to God. You've got to know the grace of God for me to say this. If you don't know the grace of God, you'll be going, oh, you're already getting into condemnation. And if you're getting into condemnation, you need to understand the grace of God. But you can't keep speaking to babies. Sometimes you've got to say, all right, babies, shut your ears right now and just know. Just shut your ears, put your fingers in your ears and just say, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me. And I'll tell you when to take your fingers out your ears, because this is for the mature that know, that you 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 know that Jesus loves you. But Ezra comes in and says, this is an abomination. These things, you don't even, you can't even see the wood for the trees. Babylon has so blinded you that you don't even think it's sin. You don't even, you're not even looking from God's perspective. And Jesus had the same problem. 
People were so hardened to sin. Why, why do they talk about hard hearts? Because hard hearts, that is like you can no longer feel. It's a hardening. It's like they talk about your conscience being seared. If you burn your hand, then what happens where the burn is, you lose your feeling, don't you? So what can happen with sin is it can cause us to lose our feeling. And that's why in Hebrews, it says, be careful that you don't have a hardening of heart. And then there was a response. And people were amazed because the fear of the Lord came in and brought cleansing power. This is where God's heading. He wants a people of grace. I mean one 150% grace. I mean total, you know, I mean, you hear the grace message here at Kensington Temple. Colin, our senior minister, preaches it. I've written a book called No More Law. Not a bit of law, which most Christians have. I've written a book called No More Law at all, in any way, ever, for the child of God. We've got to get that. But God then is going to say, okay, you've got it. You know it. I love you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Now can I begin to show you the clean, holy power? Do you want to go deeper? Do you want to see my glory? Do you want to see things as they really are? Do you want me to cleanse your eyes of your heart so that you can see sin as it really is? And my holiness, that will cause us to produce a generation of grace-filled Christians who know the fear of the Lord, and that fear of the Lord brings wisdom, power, honor. Hallelujah. We need to know him as the Lamb of God, but he also wants us to know him as the Lion of Judah. We need to be able to cradle always in his fatherly Abba arms but we also need to know him as the King of glory, the Holy One of Israel. Hallelujah. Father, as we close tonight, we thank you for your message of grace, and we thank you that you want us to be able to take the heavy stuff of your glory, because that would be so wonderful. Lord, release upon us more grace as we seek restoration in our lives, and also in our city and world, each one of us to play our part. Lord, grow us, build us, encourage us by your prophets, but bring us to the place where we're ready for the Ezra anointing. Just like you brought the early church to the place where the Ezra anointing came, and Ananias and Sapphira were found wanting. What glorious days of revival they were. Work in us, Lord, your grace, and grow us to go back to the old ways, the old paths of the old truths of the God of grace and the God of holiness, of the God of mercy, the God of thunder, of the God of forgiveness, and the God of wrath, the lion, but also the Lamb. Oh, hallelujah. The child given on 
Christmas to a virgin, a little child. But then him with the hair of fire that will return on a horse with his holy angels. Oh God, give us both the grace and the fear of the Lord and build you a house amongst us. If there's anybody in this place today and you say, well, I'm not a Christian, but tonight I would like to start my journey with the Lord. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to know that I will never die in my sins and that if I believe in Him, believe He died for me and rose again, if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, then it's done. I'm forgiven forever. And though I slip, He'll always catch me. He'll be with me forever, my, my Savior and my Lord. Let the head bowed. If there's anyone who wants to respond to that now and say, Yes, Lord, tonight I want to leave here knowing I'm forgiven forevermore. I believe in you. Lift your hand right now. I want to pray for you. Just lift your hand upstairs if that's you. You want to pray that prayer. Downstairs, just lift your hand. You say, I'm ready. Amen. Father, bless us as we go. Lord, as we enter into this Christmas period, bless us, bless our friends, bless our family. Touch all our gatherings over the Christmas period. And may many people come to know what we have known. The love of God that came down in Christmas with the Word made flesh, born of a virgin. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you.